This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Uh, Let's open in a word of prayer. Sovereign Lord and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that uh, we can sing that and it be true that it's well with our soul because of our faith that we've placed in you. And Father, we are grateful that you permit us to come before you with our petitions and our requests. So we ask that you'll hear us now. We pray, Father, for your blessing upon Pastor Paul and Pastor Jermico. We ask, Father, that you'll give them wisdom in guiding and directing their households and in guiding and directing this church that you've entrusted to them. We ask, Father, that you will open up many doors of opportunity for them to proclaim the mystery of Christ, whether it be in the schools, whether it be in businesses, whether it be in parliament. Please, Father, would you go before them and open up those doors, help them to proclaim this mystery clearly so that people will be able to understand and receive the truth that you've provided. Father, we are so grateful for the many people who diligently serve in the ministries of this church. Thank you for our leaders in Sunday School, in AMP, in Olympians, in the nursery, all of these areas. We ask, Father, that you will help each of these leaders to live righteous lives before you. Help them to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily besets so that we might um, have great courage and boldness as we uh, proclaim your truth. And Father, I'm grateful for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are with us today and for those who are unable to attend. And and we ask, Father, that you will help each of us to be the light that you desire for us to be, that you will help us, uh, that people would be able to see our good deeds and know that it's not coming from anything that's within but it's coming from you who empowers us and that they might give you glory for this. Please, Father, would you hearken unto these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 41. So if you have your Bible or your devices, please uh, join with me turning there. Hear the word of the Lord. After two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, 
We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one could have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what it, he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food will be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, 
and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah, and he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. The name of the second son he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This is God's word. All right, it's time to get into this uh, lengthy chapter. This, is, this, this section is very long. In fact, it's longer than the last two chapters combined. This, uh, you might be wondering, why does the biblical author... Moses spends so much time on this particular section. Well, it's because we now get to see how God has been working all this together. The, the dots are, are being connected, and we can now see the picture forming. We see God's grand sovereignty at work. 
that he is in charge and he's moving things in the direction that he wants them to go. I'm reminded of Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That's a comfort when we don't see the reason for things in our life, especially if it's things we don't like. We can trust God is still writing that chapter, and we perhaps need to turn a few more pages before we'll figure it out. But even if we don't figure it out, we can trust. As it says in Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. In, in light of this chapter that shows us that God is in control and has a plan, I, I want us to remember three things that we need to do. Hope in God above all. Act on God's revelation. And remember affliction leading, leads to fruitfulness. So let's, let's go over some of this narrative before we get into these points. So Pharaoh had a disturbing dream, dreams actually, uh, that felt very real to him. And we see that in verse 7 when it says, Pharaoh awoke and behold, it was a dream. Have you ever had one of those? You, you, you kind of just wake up and you're like, oh, wait, whoa, 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 it's a dream. It's just a dream. So it seems to be one, one of those. The, the dreams contained the Nile River which was significant for Pharaoh and all of Egypt. The Pharaoh was believed to be a type of, of God mediator who was responsible for the, the regularity of the flooding of the Nile that produced the fertile land to grow crops. This dream has even greater weight as it was on Pharaoh's birthday which I believe is signified by verse 1 statement, after two whole years. The last time we read that, it was, it was Pharaoh's birthday. And now, now we see two whole years have passed. It's Pharaoh's birthday again. So there's a lot of significance with, with this dream for him. Uh, Pharaoh's reaction to these disturbing dreams was to call for the magicians and the wise men of Egypt to interpret the dreams, uh, but we're told that none could do it. I think they could have given a guess, don't you? But because it was obviously going to be bad news, I don't think anyone was really jumping at the opportunity. Like, who wants to give bad news to the king who could end your life if he got angry enough, like he did to the chief baker, right? Now we, we, see, now we see how God is working, and, and our first point uh, to remember here, hope in God above all. So if Joseph had his hope only in the cupbearer, getting him out of prison. It would have been a long two more years in prison, thinking his only shot of getting out was gone. But we see the reason that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. 
God wanted Joseph to serve Pharaoh just like he did the cupbearer. The cupbearer remembers Joseph because of the, the present situation. It seems very familiar to him, and he speaks up. And Pharaoh reacts quickly in light of this information in verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when they had shaved, him, shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. You know, it, it was okay for Joseph to have hope that that cupbearer would be his ticket out of prison. That, like, that wasn't wrong. But hope has to be positioned correctly. And all other hopes need to be positioned below our ultimate hope in God. God still uses the cupbearer, but not in the way that Joseph envisions. Joseph thought the cupbearer would provide him with a hearing before Pharaoh so he could plead his innocence. But God had something far greater in mind. That, that should be our mindset. If you have a job interview, it's, it's okay to have hope in getting that job. But it must be placed under our hope in God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This raises our hopes above circumstances to the one who is over all circumstances. That's a much better place to live. Where is your hope living? Right now. Where is your hope living? We can clearly see where Joseph's hope is as he comes before Pharaoh. Let me read verses 15 and 16. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The chief cupbearer mentions nothing about Joseph's God to Pharaoh that he credited for his interpretation down in the pit, down in prison. So Joseph dedicated himself to the status of the wise men of Egypt, taking the credit of being able to interpret dreams like no one else could. He doesn't. He says, it's not me. It's not within me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And jo Joseph doesn't stop there with a single mention of God. After Pharaoh recalls the dream to Joseph, we read in verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, it is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, and, du and the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. This shows us that this was not just some token mention of God by Joseph. 
like a God bless you after a sneeze. <laughs> Joseph's hope was in God above all. This testimony was also a challenge toward the gods of Egypt. Joseph is saying that his God holds the future of the crops and not the God of the Nile. If your hope is in God above all, proclaim that to yourself. That's the first place you need to proclaim it to. Proclaim it to yourself. Psalm 42:11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I should again praise him, my salvation and my God. You see how the psalmist is proclaiming to his own soul, hope in God. Don't let your, your conscience, your circumstances tell you otherwise. Like the psalmist, proclaim your hope in the Lord to fellow followers of Christ. Psalm 22, 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. So speak to it to yourself and then speak to it to others who, who know and love the Lord like you. But also, as Joseph was doing here, proclaim God among the nations to those who don't know the one true ever-living God. Psalm 96, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Your proclamation of God like this makes your hope in him above all a greater and stronger reality. We can't live the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, not my will, but yours be done. We can't live those words unless we are proclaiming our hope in God above all to ourselves and to our church family and to the world that we interact with. Now, this is not some sort of great challenge that I'm charging you with. And... and and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if this is not you, okay? We, we, can, we can do this if we quietly set our focus on Jesus. When we wake up in the morning, remembering that we are accepted by God, not because of our performance, but because of his sacrifice for us that we put our faith and trust in. Because of that, he is with us, and will never cast us out. That means if your hope is not perfect, that's okay. Just reposition it back to where it needs to be. In fact, our hope will never be perfect, and our life will be a continual repositioning of our hope in God above all. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take our lifetime. Keep it up. Let's move to the next point. Act on God's revelation. God gives Joseph the meaning of these dreams that are from God. Seven years of plenty will be followed by seven years of severe famine. 
Without giving Pharaoh a chance to even react, he presents a solution. He tells Pharaoh to create a tax collecting agency to levy a 20% tax on all the crops of the land and store them as a reserve against the seven years of famine that are coming. So this dream was God's revelation to Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and when Joseph became aware of it, he presents an active response. As I've said before, God does not reveal new information in dreams because he's given us his word in the Bible. When we sit under the teaching of the revelation of God, the Bible, it requires response. Perhaps it is the conviction of sin. That response should be repentance. Maybe it's a warning about something about a way we should live or a way we shouldn't live. That response should cause us to take precautions. If it is our need to be made right with God, our Creator, which is a universal need, we need to humbly confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's the most important, the greatest response that you can ever have toward God's revelation. But God's revelation always requires a response. With no response, there is no spiritual growth. And we all want spiritual growth. So ask yourself, after every personal Bible reading, Bible study, or sermon, how should I respond to your word, O Lord? If, if you are in Christ, your response to God's revelation does not determine his love for you. We need to make that clear. He doesn't love you less when you fail to respond to his loving words to you. He has vowed to be patient with you. He has vowed to always love you. The same is true as if you're, if you're really good at responding to God's word. God does not put you on his list of favorites because he has no list of favorites. He shows no partiality. If you're a child of God, you are his favorite. As, along with all of his other children. What is amazing here is that Pharaoh, a king with his own gods, responds to the true God's revelation. Verse 39. When Pharaoh said to Joseph, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. Pharaoh says, you are that wise and discerning man that I will set over the land of Egypt. Then we have this ceremony where Pharaoh takes off his signet ring, 
which is the symbol of his authority, and put it on Joseph. Then clothes him with garments of fine linen, showing royalty, followed by a gold chain around his neck, which would have been a reward for his service. He then puts him in his second chariot, calling for everyone to bow the knee to Joseph. He gives him a new name and presents him with a Gentile bride. The the parallelism to Jesus here is plentiful and obvious. But the most striking, I think, is Joseph being clothed in the fine linen garments of Egyptian royalty. His first royal robe from his father was stripped from him. His second robe was given by his master as a household manager and was stripped from him. Now the king of the most powerful nation in the area clothes him in royal garments again. How striking this must have been for Joseph as God restored what was lost. How gracious God is to his people. And now this hard life prepared him for the hard work to come. But we, we need to remember that this plan that Joseph had was, was not an easy one. It, it would have been a logistical nightmare. Not to mention how unpopular it would have been with the Egyptians on a, on a, as a whole. Right? Oh yeah, great, 20% of my crop, here you go. Acting on God's word is seldom easy, but always brings blessing. Maybe it's confessing a sin you committed against another. That's not easy, but it will bring blessing. Whatever it is, whenever we act according to God's revelation, it will bring blessing blessing. You need to remember that because we're not prone to do the hard things. And acting on God's revelation is not easy. It's hard. So let's not sugarcoat it. But let's remember that it leads to blessing. Joseph was successful. Verse 49. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. This language here takes us back to Abraham. In Genesis 15, when God told him he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky, and then later as the sand of the sea, that could not be counted. Joseph stores up so much grain that he couldn't keep track of the abundance. Right after this statement, we see that Joseph has two sons born to him. We are reminded that God is at work according to his promises. Remember that the great nation is is forming. And that leads us to our last point. Remember, affliction leads to fruitfulness. One year before the famine, Joseph has two sons. Verse 51. 
Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Joseph has been through a lot of trauma. Our natural response to our trauma is to bury it. Joseph has been second in command in Egypt now for six years. And his job is challenging, but rewarding. And he's at the top of his game. The name he gives to his firstborn is important. He calls him Manasseh because it sounds like the Hebrew for making to forget. Joseph further explains that he chose this name because God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. You see the irony here? In naming his son this, he is ensuring that he will never forget what he has gone through. <laughs> right? Now, now look at the name of the second son in verse 52. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim sounds like the Hebrew for making fruitful. Joseph says, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So we see what Joseph is, is thinking here. We see what's on his heart. He is saying that he can never forget what has happened because it was through this affliction or trauma that God made him fruitful. A successful future does not need to bury the past. In fact, we will always be confronted with our past in one way or another because it shapes us. It forms us. The things we do in the present are a result of the things that have affected us in the past. By Joseph naming his sons in a way that helps him to never forget his affliction, where he came from to get where he's at now, he is reminding himself how God can redeem the most terrible of pasts. Think of it, think of it like this. A foreign slave sold by his own brothers and who became imprisoned as a convicted attempted rapist is now the second most powerful person in Egypt who will save Egypt and the surrounding nations from famine. God can redeem our traumatic pasts so that our scars are beautiful. You don't have to bury your past. You have to give it to God. Isn't it amazing how Jesus still bears his crucifixion scars in his resurrected body? You remember after the resurrection, the scars were still there, weren't they? Thomas 
felt them in his hands and in his side. These are not erased, but left to show how his affliction has led to our fruitfulness. Joseph is a picture of that. Life-giving blessing was the result of Joseph's affliction in the pits. Life-giving blessing was the result of Jesus' affliction on the cross, where he died for the penalty of your sins. All who would bow the knee to Joseph would receive life-giving grain during the famine. All who bow the knee to Jesus will receive the eternal life-giving blessing of no condemnation before God for all the wrongs we have done against our Creator and to everyone else. Jesus' scars remind us of that fact. And our scars can be redeemed into something beautiful as well. Only when God's love has been poured into our hearts because of Jesus and our hope in him can we have hope in God above all, which compels us to act according to God's word with joy and causes us to rejoice, even in our sufferings, knowing that we, that they will lead us to a harvest of unimaginable goodness. How could it be anything less for the follower of Jesus, our Lord, who is on our side? Let's pray. Father, before chapter 41, it seemed like Joseph's life was pretty much finished and would go absolutely nowhere. So thank you for chapter 41. It shows us that how you're still working in the life of your children. And maybe someone can relate to that even today. Perhaps what they've been through, the trauma they've experienced, leads them to think there is no hope for the future. But when we have a hope in you above all other things, including including our past, there is great hope for redemption. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead. And all who trust in him will rise as well. Thank you for that reality. Father, the person who is not in Christ, would you help them to put their faith in Christ? Lead them through the power of your spirit to do so. Help them to bow the knee before Jesus now and confess him as Lord and Savior from their sins. Sins that are against you as well as others. And Father, as we think of the sufferings that 
that plague our lives in this fallen world. Help us to remember where they lead. They can lead to a harvest of fruitfulness. But only in you. And maybe not apparent to us in, in the way we think. And perhaps we might have to wait to leave this life to experience it. But all of that, all of that will not compare to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon.